Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my webpage at dr-history.com for over 440 true stories of the Old West. Also, now available on Amazon, my first book, a historical fiction based on true events entitled Coal Miner to Cowboy. The story of a young man born in England in 1850. He wants to be a cowboy and makes his way to America, travels from New Orleans to Independence on a steamboat, hires on as a teamster to Santa Fe, then on a cattle drive to Bozeman, Montana. He also rides shotgun on a stagecoach. He travels with a wagon train, and on his two-year journey, he meets some famous people and keeps a journal of his adventures. The book contains a lot of the true stories from my podcast and is now available on Amazon. Visit my webpage for a link to Amazon for the book, Coal Miner to Cowboy. Here he is, Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. How are you? You're lucky I'm here. Uh, that could be discerned in quite a few different ways. <laughs> Meaning that the drive out here was a little precarious. Tip your mic up just a touch there. Perfect. Uh, well, maybe just a little bit more. That thing's getting old like you. Okay. A little slick out there on those roads. Is it really? Yeah, not too bad, but you know. Are you prepared to stay at home for the next two days? I can do it if I have to. So can I. I do not so like driving on roads like that. You know, it's funny. Uh, it never used to bother me. Growing up in Wisconsin, right. of course, and then going to school in Minnesota up at Minneapolis, I don't like it at all now. I'm the same way. Yeah. So last week we talked about the Kiowas. Yes. And we talked about uh, their chief island man who turned out to be not a very good chief. Taking over for him was a guy named Little Mountain. I remember him. Little Mountain. And he actually uh, stayed there in that uh capacity for 33 years so we're going to talk a little more about him okay and and the kiowa uh, band little mountain and we were talking about how they were really disciplined with a political society to where they really knew what they were doing exactly well organized yeah very well organized so you know when you talk about the business of war of course uh, which required leadership, every male in the course of his life rode with war parties. That's just what they did mm-hmm. to get plunder, to revenge an attack on the foe, on a foe, or just for the excitement of going into battle. Yeah. But the greatest glory was achieved by riding into battle and striking the foe with a hand or a stick. That was a coup. Yes. Stick. Known as counting coup. Right. That right. was considered the ultimate in bravery. Yeah. So stupidity, but, but bravery. Brave. Yes. So with a good coup count and a fair number of stolen horses to say that credit, fast five times. <laughs> what? <laughs> Okay, we'll just keep going here. With a good coup count and and a fair number of stolen horses to his credit, any young warrior could rally others to set off on a raid. And if he continued to be successful, coupled with uh, maybe he was quite eloquent uh, in talking about his deeds, he could earn him a permanent recognition as a war chief, which at times he could lead sometimes a few or up to hundreds of men in combat missions uh, during an expedition, a war chief. Uh, now, this is a, an amazing organization that I don't think people think about this. The war chief selected the camping site. He posted the watch. He sent out scouts. He delegated men to locate water supplies and tent horses and devise strategy. His authority was suspended between raids. 
but he showed a capacity to win men's loyalty in peace as well as war, and he might actually eventually become the head chief. Oh, so he wasn't the head chief. No, not necessarily. He was uh, the war chief. The war chief. But look at the organization. You know, sending out scouts, place to water, everything was done right. Right. You know, so the Kiowas had a lot of different words to differentiate the different levels and categories of leadership. And we don't really understand uh, people of other cultures because you cannot really precisely translate these words. So basically what happens is that we as uh, the white men uh, basically – any person that looked like they were in charge was considered a chief. Now, when you said the language of the Kiowas, is right. is it now, and I'm not trying to be funny at all on this one, is it a dead language? I don't know how much the Kiowa has been preserved. I know there's quite a few that have been preserved, like the Navajo and some of the others. I know that they have made great efforts. Which to, they used in World War II. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, basically, like say, the word chief according to the military back then, was anybody that seemed to be in charge. I see. Whereas, uh, really, they had sub-chiefs and band chiefs, so there were different categories of chiefs, according to the Kiowas. I see. Okay. So, but the attributes and responsibility of chiefs on whatever level, it kind of varied in the West. Like the Mandans of the Northern Plains, they had two principal chiefs, okay, Uh, a civil and a military chief, uh, that acted together. So they had two chiefs that were basically in charge. Now, the Cheyennes, I found this interesting, had a governing body of 44 chiefs. Oh, now that's going to cause trouble. <laughs> so, but it worked. How do you ever make anything work or negotiate with 44 I, I different people? it has people? to be unanimous. Don't you That's think? impossible. Well, maybe. But the Apaches actually had no principal chief at all. They kind of bounced around. Really? Yeah. So back to Little Mountain. Uh, you know, he assumed the principal chieftainship of the Kiowas. His people's contact with white men had been infrequent and not always very friendly. Wagon freighters with goods bound for the Mexican city of Santa Fe had begun traveling on the 800-mile trail from Franklin, Missouri, as, as early as 1821. And Kiowa raiding parties had often launched attacks on these caravans, taken off with their goods. You know, that's just what they did. Only the year before, in 1832, the Kiowas had fallen upon a, an American pack train. They captured, among other useful goods, a, ho- a bunch of silver dollars. Well, they didn't know what to do with silver dollars, so they just made hair ornaments out of them. Now, the horse, of course, uh, had been acquired by the Plains Indians through uh, trade and theft. The Indians' iron tools, hatchets, lance blades, arrow points, butcher knives, all had been supplied by white traders. So they were they were coming around to getting more of the modern the things. So hmm. the bad thing, and we've talked about this before, disease had come as early as 1816. Smallpox infected first one tribe and then another. Both the Kiowas and the Comanches uh, suffered a dreadful toll since they, they didn't have any natural resistance. I was going to ask you about that. Um, how come it hit the Indian tribes, if you will, so harshly as compared to if it would have stayed in the white area and white culture? Because they had no resistance to it. You think about even our culture today. If somebody gets sick, in a family, a lot yeah. of times that resistance can be passed on to the other siblings in a family. Yeah. Whereas back then, they had no resistance to smallpox because they 
It never been there before. It was devastating. Yeah, it and it actually wiped out sometimes whole tribes oh, yeah. that were yeah. completely gone. So in the summer of 1834, Colonel Henry Dodge rode through the lands of the Kiowas, the Comanches, the Cherokees, the Creeks, the Osages, and the Wichitas to kind of establish friendly friendly relationships uh, because uh, you know they'd been interfering with the white trade and travel. So he wanted to kind of establish a some kind of a treaty thing going on here. So he met a visiting contingent of the Kiowas led by Little Mountain. So here he comes again. And he explained the government wished to establish a lasting peace with them. Little Mountain greeted the strangers with dignity, uh, although he'd never actually been with American troops before. And he was prepared to deal with them uh, as he would any other neighboring tribe. He just thought, you know, you meet together, you discuss how you're going to be peaceful, and he thought that'd be the same as if he met with the Comanches or the Apaches or anybody else. Well, the colonel offered the Kiowas generous trading privileges in return for the safe passage of U.S. citizens traveling the Santa Fe Trail. Mm. Now, Little Mountain was uh, gratified. He said he thought the Great Spirit has sent us to see these white men as brothers. He was, I'm going to say he was a bit naive. All right? A bit? A little. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so there too, uh, this Colonel actually had held peace talks with representatives of the Cherokee, the Creek, the Choctaw, the Osage tribes to try to make it so the travelers could travel through there without any problem. And this was from where to where? Uh, from, uh, down along the Santa Fe Trail. So, so for over a decade, the Kiowas kept their promise to the white men and they let travelers pass. No problem along the trail. But they didn't hesitate to swoop down into Texas on raiding expeditions against what they considered the white men down there, which they hated. Mm. Now, life continued much as before until gold was discovered in California. Oh, boy, here we go. In 1848, thereafter, seemingly endless trains of covered wagons came rolling across the plains. And they saw that that was an infringement. Exactly. You know, and and not only the uh, smallpox, but it brought cholera. Oh, boy. Another epidemic that just wiped out the Indians. Again, they had no resistance along the Santa Fe Trail. So then another big thing that hit was in 1858, gold was found in the Pikes Peak region of Colorado. Yep. So once again, with that, the trek across the plains developed into a stampede within one year. 100,000 white adventures of every kind came swarming across the Kiowa hunting ground. So basically it was like a freeway. Yeah. And it was spoiling the earth. They chopped down trees. They wasted wood. They uh, would sometimes kill animals and just leave them, maybe take a little bit of it. I mean, they were basically wasting the ground yeah. that the Kiowas uh, had held sacred. And you really can't blame them for getting teed off. Yeah, yeah. Well, they were. They were mad at the intrusions. And uh, so they started falling upon the settlers and the travelers. You know, uh, there was an Indian agent named Robert Miller, and he delivered a warning to Little Mountain. He said, unless the Kiowas and their allies stopped their depredations, Miller threatened the government would send trips, troops to punish them. Now, for the first time, Little Mountain... Yeah, right there, though, can elaborate on that a little bit. The Indians were infringed upon, and yet when they started showing that they were absolutely upset about this, uh, then the government came down on them harder. Exactly. And for the first time, Little Mountain spoke up. He was mad. He was upset. Because, again, he agreed on some things, a little bit naively maybe, and it wasn't happening. 
So the Kiowas continued their attacks, and no reprisal came uh, from the White Army because they were occupied with the Civil War. This was this was in 1864. So. Drivers of freight wagons were afraid to cross the plains, and the Denver area began running short of food. Mail service to Santa Fe was stopped because of Kiowa strikes against stage stations and coaches. And in July, Kiowa War Chief White Bear, now he was the war chief. White He's Bear. the big man. Yeah. Uh, Little Mountain was more like the other chief. There. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so He was kind of like uh, Blinken. Blinken. Yeah, the Secretary of State <laughs> okay. under Biden. I, I don't mean to confuse you. Well, I'm totally confused now. Uh, anyway, War Chief White uh, Bear and a party of warriors attacked a ranch a few miles from uh, a place called Fort Lyon, Colorado. Then they moved on to a stage station where they killed some men. A few days later, White Bear led a raid into a settlement uh, near a place called Menard, Texas. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard. I've been there. And been through there. And they killed several residents there. Um, the same month, another war party of Kiowas attacked a wagon train in Kansas and killed 10 Teamsters. Oh, my. And again, can you really blame them? Not for, at all. You know, here they are being overrun. So in October, uh, the Kiowa Raiders joined forces with the Comanches. Oh, boy. Okay. And here they started attacking some settlements on a place called Elm Creek near Fort uh, Belknap, Texas. Uh, this time they killed 11 people, captured some others. So, And really, the Indians didn't have, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, any negotiable type things that they could sit down and negotiate with the government. Exactly. What, what are they going to offer? Yeah. Really. So, you know... But again, if the if the Raiders thought they were secure from retaliation, they were mistaken, because come upon the scene was Colonel Kit Carson. Uh-oh. And, you know, he was a famed trap, trapper, scout. You know, we know a lot about, yeah. about him. And he was serving in the Southwest with the New Mexico Volunteers, organized to protect frontiersmen against the Indian attacks. Oh, boy. So in the fall of 1864, Carson was ordered by his commanding officer, General James H. Carlton, to launch a attack on what they called the Marauders, mm-hmm. um, which we, which I called the Indians that were just protecting their land. Yeah, that's it. So, yep. so by n- November, most of the Indians were in their winter camps, no longer raiding because their horses were just living on you know what little they could. Cottonwood bark, you know, not much uh, food for the horses. Wow. So uh, they were really too too weak for action. And early that month, Carson rode east from Cimarron, New Mexico, with a regiment made up of 14 officers, 321 cavalrymen, cavalrymen and 72 Indian scouts, the Utes and the Yurikala Apaches, who did not have any love for the Kiowas. They didn't mind scouting for the army. So entirely unaware of their approach, Little Mountain was encamped along with some Comanches on the Canadian River in the Texas Panhandle. When Carson's force struck early one cold morning, Little Mountain, now look at the difference here, unlike Island Man that we talked about last week. The Island Man got up and ran. He took off and ran. He's out of there. He was. Unlike Island Man, in this moment of crisis, he swiftly organized his warriors into an orderly retreat, protecting the women and children, and sent a, a courier galloping downriver to call for help from the neighboring Kiowa, Kiowa and Comanche camps. 
He himself had his horse shot out from under him while leading the defense, but he continued to rally his warriors as reinforcements arrived from one camp and then from another. He was right there, Zeb. He was, and they didn't even have cell phones. They did not. They sent a courier as fast as they could go. Well, the battle raged all day over the river bottoms and the surrounding hills. At intervals, the white soldiers blew bugle calls as signals to each other. Well, a Kiowa warrior who had become the owner of a bugle captured in a previous battle responded by blowing contradictory calls until the soldiers were totally confused. I wonder how they learned how to blow the bugle you know, that fast. That was my thought. Have you ever tried to blow a bugle? Yeah, and it, you got to purse your lips together and kind of yeah, like I, that, don't I you? I can't even do it. So I don't know how he figured yeah. it out. Well, Carson's troops might well have been overrun had they not brought along two 12-pound howitzers. Oh. They were terribly effective oh. in breaking up the concentration of warriors. The Kai was scattered, circled the White's position, and re-entered the village that they just fled from. There they succeeded in saving some of their horse herd, but the soldiers again put them to flight with these deadly howitzers. After the withdrawal of the Indian forces, Carson set fire to the 176 lodges. There were a lot of people. Oh, I mean, you consider the warriors and then their families, their children. They burned all their dried meat and other winter provisions and all their buffalo robes and their clothes. Wow. Where was that at? uh, At their camp along the uh, uh, Texas Panhandle. Oh, I see. Canadian River. Okay, up on the Canadian. Yeah. Wow. So basically left them with nothing than what they had run with. So what did they do going into the winter? Well, of course, it was a stunning blow to Little Mountain. He knew that the white attack would have been repelled if it had not been for those howitzers. They could have probably done okay. So anyway, in 1865, Little Mountain recommended to his council that there be another peace meeting with the United States. The Kiowas and their Comanche allies met in October with a U.S. delegation headed by Colonel Jesse Leavenworth. Of course, that's a famous name. Uh, as a spokesman, he tried to explain that it would be to their best interest of all parties for the Kiowas to confine themselves to certain areas distant from the main travel areas. In other words, he's talking about a uh, reservation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Little Mountain, he protested. But how could the whites parcel out lands that did not belong to them? It was theirs. And nevertheless, in the interest of peace with such a powerful people, he and six other Kiowa leaders signed the treaty on the government terms, giving up all claims to western Texas, southwestern Kansas, eastern New Mexico, and southeastern Colorado. The pact left them with the southwestern part of Oklahoma, which they called Indian Territory, and most of the Texas Panhandle, which fortunately did include some of their best buffalo hunting grounds. Now, in return, they were to be given annual presence of hunting rifles, food, utensils, tools, seed for planting, blankets, and uh, of all things, they wanted to give them some suits. What? Suits. Like in three-piece. Suits. Like in senatorial and congressional. Suits. Yes. So they left the meeting not realizing the nature of the bargain they had made. In their innocence, with only the vaguest understanding of the terms of the treaty, they had committed themselves to life on a reservation. I got to go. That's it. Can we continue this next week? Let me just tell you real quick. Things didn't work out. 
the system to which Little Mountain had led his chiefs did not work. He died after 33 years of leading them. And White Bear said of Little Mountain, quote, he did all he could to make peace. He kept talking and talking, but the white men kept doing something bad to him. And he was in so much misery that he died. Oh, my. So that's we got to talk more about the story that. of Little Mountain. And, and I want to find out next week, if we can, what really happened to the Kiowa tribe. In the end. Yeah, yeah. I would appreciate that. Ladies and gentlemen, none better. Dr. History.